probably should have turned the mic on after I swallowed that mouthful of water. But uh, I didn't intend to share it with you. But uh, Sometimes things don't happen quite the way we plan them. Or sometimes we don't even plan them. Happy New Year. For those who have remembered, it's that day. And uh, we'll take a bit more time for what we might include in a Happy New Year. More volume? Um, please, can we just... Uh, is this a bit lower than normal? How's that? Is that better? Good. Okay, thank you. So, it's the new year and it's another day. And it's where we are right now, right here. And our invitation, our practice, our engagement is with this simple immediacy of being right here. And the offering of our attention to this breathing body, to be sensitive to this entire living organic form and structure. And to see what is useful in the ways that we can attend to it. The different degrees of focus or openness we may bring. (coughs) Something that's really useful to notice is the way in which in response to experience, we can often habitually and unconsciously contract, tighten, harden. And it's kind of interesting to contemplate this in a sort of evolutionary biological framework. And I find it helpful to understand my body sometimes by remembering that it's made up of a whole lot of little cells Each one of them is just a little bag full of juicy stuff. And the first life was just little bags of juicy stuff, one at a time, that somehow got it together to become that. I won't go into the detail. I don't think I could. (coughs) In a liquid environment, to begin with, which we might these days call the ocean or the sea. And the basic capacity it had... Or the, the, the little bag is sort of semi-permeable and it's surrounded by, by things which are nutriment, nourishing, <coughs> necessary. And it's equally at times encountering things which are toxic, poisonous, dangerous. So it has to be able to soften, relax, open in order to become more porous and allow in the nourishment. Because if it was completely cut off, it would starve. But when it encounters something toxic or poisonous, it needs to tighten up and close all those little pores down and make sure none of that gets in. And you might wonder why am I talking about sort of a single-celled organism in these terms. The reality is our own primary biological tendencies are born of this. And our biology informs our psychology. 
because they're not entirely separate. So what we notice is that when we encounter something that's scary, threatening, dangerous, difficult, or just unwanted, we tend to tighten. We tend to contract. It's like my whole body's trying to stop whatever that is getting in. At this level of organism, it doesn't work. It doesn't really do that. Although we may not feel what we're trying to protect ourselves from. And because of our memory, we tend to hold on to that. And we sometimes are doing it even when we don't need to. And we didn't actually need to in the first place because it didn't really work. But that's what happens. And so it can be really useful to notice the ways in which we've tightened or contracted in the body. And just seeing, can I relax? Can I soften? Can I widen? And that quality of both narrowing and hardening is the marker of reactivity that our body tells us about. So paying attention to our body means we understand, we can see what's happening in this particular frame. And when we soften, when we widen, and we we allow our attention sometimes to widen and to include even the space around us, which, of course, as an organism, we're sensitive to. We need to be sensitive to our environment, just as a little single cell does. We too, because it affects us. And we see there's the sensitivity that extends beyond the body. And sometimes just letting our attention open, soften, widen. As well as releasing the constriction and discomfort of contractedness and the limitation that evokes, it also allows us to become available to receive the nourishment. And not talking here about sort of the biological nutriments so much as the psychological, energetic, spiritual nourishment of actually feeling ourselves touched by the world, by life, by the many beautiful and sweet possibilities that can become available to us when we're fully here. Or more. Because fully here is a bit of an ask, isn't it? But more and more fully able to be here. And enabling and supporting that possibility of softening, opening, widening. Sometimes, again, we find it useful to attend to particular places of tightening. And just breathe with them. The outbreath has a softening, relaxing quality. When we direct the outbreath into a place of maybe physical pain, where there's contraction, or where we notice some resonance associated with some emotional or psychological stress or pressure for us, we can just find that the breathing out with, in, and through that region can allow it to soften and open without trying to make it do so, without trying to force it, just seeing what's possible. And at other times, bringing the attention in a focused way to where we notice some sense of ease or well-being or something that's touching in a, in a warming or uplifting way for our heart. Maybe some place where we just feel comfortable or the body feels strong or bright. 
And we see how that actually influences the whole field of experience. And so, again, exploring the aperture of attention, where it's useful to gather it in, that may also be helpful for sustaining attention. Where it's useful to open it out, equally that at times will be useful for sustaining attention, as well as for working skillfully with this capacity we have to soften and widen as a response to the unconscious and habitual tendency that's biologically wired in as a survival mechanism. So nothing to judge in that. It's just what happens. That wired-in tendency to tighten and harden and contract. And with that, one of the areas of our experience which the Buddha highlighted as being of real importance as one of the foundations for directing our wakeful attention is the way in which our experience, and this is all experience, not just bodily experience, all experience has a quality of either being pleasurable, unpleasant, or neither. The Buddha's sometimes, when one looks at his teaching, one has a sense of, how remarkable. Like, this is a three-part categorization. Things are either pleasant or unpleasant, or neither pleasant or unpleasant. Can you see how there's no way to escape being one of those three things? You're either this, you're that, and if you're not this or that, you're the other one. Every single experience we've ever had in our lives has had this quality. Sometimes because of the nature of experience, it may seem that more than one is present, and I'll I'll touch on that. But beginning to notice this and pay attention to this is really important. And it's, it's sometimes, well, Vedana is the word the Buddha used, or the Buddha's teaching was recorded in Pali. We don't know if he actually spoke Pali. I think it was a little, a little different. But what was recorded in the language that his teachings were written down in, the word is Vedana. And it's often translated as feelings or feeling tone. It's a little confusing because we use feeling to refer to emotions. We use feeling towards to refer to the sense of having a, a sort of a sensory capacity to touch and feel something. What's more precisely meant by this term is a slightly more sort of complicated word, hedonic tone. Hedonic is to do with pleasure. Degree of pleasurableness. Which isn't a word, but it says it. Degree of pleasurableness or not pleasurableness. And it's important because our our system is wired up, again, to respond habitually and unconsciously to these. with With a primary association and assumption that what is pleasant is good. And what is unpleasant is bad. What is good should be pursued. What is bad should be avoided. And what is neither good nor bad, i.e. what is neither pleasant nor unpleasant, it's not doing anything to me, it's not doing anything for me, why should I bother paying attention to that? From a biological evolutionary point of view, that's how it works. So, you know, 
going back a few hundreds of thousands of years, we come out into the world from our little dwelling and there's an apple on a tree and there's a saber-toothed tiger. You know, okay, we're going to notice danger. It's the first thing. If it gets me, that's the end of the story. So we tend to be a bit looking for where there's danger, problem, threat. It has an unpleasant association. The tendency is to want to withdraw, to pull away, or push away. Fight, strike, you know, take a weapon. See the apple, it's like, great. We might not really notice that there's a, a bush that doesn't have any medicinal value or food value or poisonous value to us. And it's there. In our practice, what we can notice that our attention tends to go to what seems pleasurable and what seems unpleasant. And the habit and the tendency is that in relationship to the pleasurable, a sense of wanting arises, a sense of, I'd like this, I'd like more of this. And that's pretty much what tells us it's pleasant. Something in us goes, mm, yes please. And if we don't notice that, what we tend to do is contract and tighten around it. Take hold of it. As Nikki was speaking so beautifully last night with regard to the hindrance of, of sense, desire, of like, give me that, I want it, I want to keep it. And there's a contraction in that. Again, that's one of the ways we tighten. When we encounter an unpleasant experience... The response is, I don't like it, I don't want it. That's pretty much what tells us it's unpleasant. Pain, for instance, is an unpleasant experience for the most part, unless in some way we find it enjoyable, which does sometimes happen. But for the most part, reported on meditation retreats at least, people report pain as an unpleasant experience. That's what I find anyway. And what we notice is that the urge is to want it, to make it go away. Something's painful, and we often might notice ourselves, putting pre- notice ourselves putting pressure on it. Trying to, so it's almost like sometimes we squeeze the thing that's painful with our resistance to it. And we see how that's not so helpful. How it, it amplifies the pressure, the contraction, or the pain when we squeeze it with a sense of, no, don't want it. It can show as a physical contraction and also a mental contraction where the, the mind sort of loses its flexibility and its spaciousness and it tightens around the topic of what I don't like or what I'm afraid of, which is equally something we'll find when we're afraid of some Fear is, is unpleasant and the association with it is unpleasant for most of us, I think. And we can't see anything, but this it's like it's like our lens that sometimes is open and sometimes is consciously brought into focus. In the arising of these, it narrows and tightens around the object of desire or the object of aversion, the one that is pleasurable or imagined to be, the other that is unpleasant or imagined to be, if it's an anticipated experience. And this is where we get caught a lot of the time. This is to see that, oh, it's not just that my mind wandered off. It responded to a particular association or experience.
And to free our minds and our hearts and our lives, we need to understand the way that we are conditioned by the pleasurable or unpleasurable aspect of experience. To notice it when it happens. The neutral, or the neutral isn't really the right word, it's the neither pleasant or unpleasant, but that's a whole mouthful, so sometimes we say neutral. That experience doesn't appear to be offering us anything, and so the tendency is to disconnect from it. To move, looking for either something that I'm attracted to, or some problem that I need to resolve. So the attention moves away from what is neither pleasant or unpleasant, when we're unconscious, when we're not attending, it moves and looks for and inevitably finds, because there's always going to be something we can either are experiencing or can imagine experiencing that would be pleasurable or unpleasant. And we might notice in our minds a tendency to go more one way or the other, more into fantasies or more into horror stories. Without any judgment of that, it's just like, oh, if that's your mind's tendency, it's useful to know. With the neutral, or the neither pleasant or unpleasant experience, it actually encompasses a vast amount of experience. There's a view out there in the world, you may have, in the Dharma teaching world, you may have heard that it's only because we're not sensitive enough to feel whether it's pleasant or unpleasant that we experience something as neither pleasant or unpleasant. I'm not sure I agree with that, but I'll name it for you in case you find everything has a quality of either pleasurable or unpleasantness in your experience when you really pay attention. But I think for most of us, certainly for myself, there's plenty of things that don't step out in that way or stand out. And what's interesting to notice is the way in which, from a habitual position, it's hard to be interested in them, but it's actually a lot of our lives, a lot of our experience. One of the reasons that for many of us it can be difficult initially to pay attention to just body sensations or the breathing, so breathe in and breathe out, is it's not particularly exciting. It's not particularly a problem, but it's not particularly exciting or enjoyable. And so the mind moves away. The Buddha said something I find remarkable and very precise and profound about the neither pleasant nor unpleasant experience. What he said was that when the neither pleasant nor unpleasant experience is known or is attended to, it becomes pleasurable. When it's not attended to, it becomes unpleasant. And that's really interesting. We talk about boredom. Boredom suggests that our experience is not doing anything for us. Doesn't it? It's neither pleasant or... We don't generally get bored with pleasant or unpleasant. We have a different experience. But boredom itself is unpleasant. What happens with the neutral, the neither pleasant or unpleasant, is if we disconnect from our experience, it becomes unpleasant because we're disconnected. It's the disconnection, it's losing that quality of attentiveness, of resonance, of a present conscious relationship with our life that happens. 
And that disconnection is unpleasant. When we pay attention to a neutral experience, a neither pleasant or unpleasant experience, such as our breathing might be, and this is again something often reported, as we start to be able to really attend to it, what we might notice is, oh, actually I'm starting to enjoy it. What initially was like, ah, another breath, ah, another breath, becomes, oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah, I like this. It's the same breath. But both by the increasing sensitivity we've cultivated and brought to it, but also because we're connecting with it. It becomes pleasurable. And the connection itself is pleasurable. So this is something really important and interesting to notice. Because in practice what we're cultivating is this capacity to connect and to sustain and deepen this connection of our attention with our experience in the present moment. And as we do that, we see that quality of connection itself starts to offer us something. Initially it's hard work, but as we start to establish and sustain it, it actually starts to offer us something because there's something that nourishes us deeply and profoundly by being in contact with, by being sensitive to our living experience moment by moment that is lost when we are living our lives in a mentally constructed and disconnected sort of spinning of activity in the past and in the future, or sort of looking at the present experience from a, from a sort of a safe distance where we don't really let it touch us. So we're not practicing becoming distant observers here, but exploring what it means to be intimate with and yet not entangled by our experience. To come up really close, and sometimes I find it's like we we come up really close and feel what's here. But if we need to, there's no stickiness, there's no holding on. Just close and can move on. So in your practice today, I would invite you just to notice when there's pleasant or unpleasant elements to the experience. If there's that reaction, notice the tendency to pull away, to take hold of, or to become disinterested in. And to see, can I bring an equalness of attentiveness, of interest, of care to each moment, to each experience, to each impression of our body, our breath, our life. So just continuing in our practice together. Taking a moment to 
feel the way your body is in contact with the earth, the firmness or solidity of the way your bottom rests on the seat, the cushion, the bench. Your legs, the way your legs or your feet are in contact with the mat or the floor. And feeling that sense of ground beneath you. A support that is offered that allows us to be here. taking a few moments also to feel the uprightness of your body. Feeling the sense of space around you and above you. Allowing your body to expand into that space. Upright and alert. also relaxed at ease so far as you can be. Being sensitive to this breathing body. Exploring what supports and allows you to sustain and deepen this Attentive connection. In a kindly and wholehearted way. Giving yourself to being right here. Right now. Body breathing in and breathing out. Just as it does. whole body resting on the earth and beneath the sky. Just as it is. Being attentive, conscious and present. Just as you are. 